Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, shaping leaders among leaders. What is happening, sir? Oh, I got you muted. I think we got you muted. Are you on mute? I was on mute. I'm a rookie, apparently. There you uh, are. Man, I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. We just wrapped up a live show. And uh, to jump into this room and see so many incredible faces, these young men who are investing the time to be here, to learn, to grow. Um, man, I didn't have a group like this when I was any of your age. And truly, it's uh, I love that you guys are investing now. I couldn't be more excited to be here. Right. Isn't it the best, man? Uh, same thing, right? Like I didn't, there was no, I didn't have, uh, I did not have this kind of group around me. And, and mm -mm. for you too, man, I didn't have these kind. you know, we had good mentors. I had some good mentors. I had some good coaches. I had some good men that poured into me for sure, but I didn't have the intentionality of, of a whole lot of great men who are willing to come in and pour in, man. So yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's, you know, for all the craziness that's in the world, um, this is some, uh, this is some positivity every single week, man. So thank uh, you, bro. I love it. Which is why when you asked me to be here, it was like this, this, I couldn't imagine a better place to be with my available time. So I've got a nine-year-old son, a seven-year-old daughter. And, yes. uh, you know, I hope my son at, at, at 14, 12, 15, 18, however old every one of you are, is that's investing right. in the same way that you are in yourselves. Yes, sir. Well, and that's, you. I mean, that's basically the age range right there. We got about 12 to 18, you know, that are in here and we got some of our dads that'll come in and listen in and stuff too. But this is, this is the time specifically for these young guys. And so what we'd love to do, man, because, um, you know, for, for two reasons, one, to give these guys context Two, this goes out to, you know, as a podcast, it's got six figure downloads yep. every episode too. So we want to make sure we like to take it back to when you were, 12, 15, 16, you know, were you the Brian that's got things figured out and you're knocking it out the park and you've just knocked it out the park ever since? Or did Brian, uh, you know, the young man have some things to learn? So who were you at that age? We're going to start there. We'll go in 15, 20 minutes um, into yeah. your story and then we'll I, let these I, guys ask questions. I want to, I want to start a little bit before that and then transfer oh. into that age. Cause I think some context is required. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take you back to age seven, okay, for just a second. And my mom, my brother and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush to complete a house improvement project that we were working on. And anybody who's known me for about four seconds knows that I talk fast, I walk fast, I've got a ton of energy. So it didn't surprise anybody that I was the first one of the car. I was waiting for my mom to catch up and unlock the doors. Now, here's what I'll tell all of you, because all of you are too young to really understand and appreciate this. Was This was back in the days before key fobs, right? So I had to wait for my mom to literally reach in her purse, grab her physical keys, stick it in the door, turn it so that we could go on with our way. So when I say I was waiting at the car, she couldn't unlock it, even though she was only four feet behind me. Now, as I was standing there, there was a truck that pulled up in front of the store and the driver and middle passenger got out. Passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do. Scooted over, put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Mm. Combination of shock and force, threw him up on the steering wheel, threw him up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he was catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at me with no time to react. We were parked in an end spot. He goes out over the median, hits, our, hits the tree in the median, demolishes it, goes over it, hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, 
leaving a tire track scar in my stomach and continuing on to completely sever my left arm from my body. My brother who was 14 months older was with me. And the next thing my mom heard was mom, Brian's arm is over there. And as she glanced up from my body across the parking lot, seeing the trail of meat that was cooking like hamburger on the asphalt on a 110 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona, she saw my arm laying there 10 feet away. Now I'm going to shorten this story relatively quickly because I want you guys to understand the lessons that are important out of this, but I'm going to bring it full circle to where I was at your age, because this, though it impacted it in some ways, my experience in life is not unique to my arm. It's just, this is something that gave me a need to have to probably armor and protect myself sooner than most men did. Okay. So here's what happened. I had a woman walk out of the store right when this took place and she came over and I always have to include her in the story because she saved my life and she saved my limb. She rushed immediately into action, stopped the bleeding and got my detached arm on ice within 10 minutes. Mm. Okay. Now here's the reality. I know I have an extremely unique story. But each and every one of you also has a unique story. What's important and what I've found and what I teach some of the highest performers and business owners and, and entrepreneurs and uh, 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 professional athletes in the world, like legitimately, like in their 40s and 50s, already reaching a high level of success, like it's all about the stories. Mm-hmm. What are the lessons that you can become aware of in your story so that you can become intentional in applying them moving forward? And how do you tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten your own curve to learning? You're all in this room, so you understand the value of that. You've had incredible mentors come in here, right? You've had people like Andy Frisella and big, big, big names that are crushing life coming in here to pour into you because guess what? None of us had that at 14 and 15. Right. Here's what my reality was though, okay? I came out of the hospital a couple of weeks later After feeling sorry for myself, I had to get over that really, really quickly. And one of the first lessons I had in life came from this moment because I started feeling sorry for myself. Why me? Why did I get run over? What's my life going to look like? At seven, I remember those thoughts. And then we have families coming up to us in the ICU saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. How can we help you? Come to find out that their kid's laying in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness and doesn't know if they're going to live another 30 days. I had my life, guys. I didn't know if my arm was going to be successfully reattached. They only could do four or five of the first 24 surgeries in that first couple of weeks. There was a lot of unknown, but what I did know is I had my life. So I learned really, really early how to not get stuck by the things that have happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that moved people move people. Okay. And so hopefully I'll leave you all in a place where you can go move others after all this. Here's the reality, though. I come out of the hospital and I have a teddy bear in between my arm. 90 degrees, it's sitting there. And how many of you have ever broken a bone? Okay. We're guys. We do that, right? Like, we push it. We, we go hard. We... So everybody would ask me, what happened to your arm? And they were expecting probably what anyone of your stories sounded like. Like, man, I was racing my brother down the street and I crashed my bike. I flew off the freaking jungle gym. Man, oh, I jumped off this thing, but shit, I broke my... Right? Like... That's what they were expecting. But what would I do? I'd look at them deadpan in the eye and I'd say, I was run over by a truck and my arm was torn off. After they picked their jaws up off the ground, here's what would always happen. They would pause. And they'd turn to my parents for validation because they didn't believe the story I had just told them. My story. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe what I had just said. 
because it was too audacious. How could this seven-year-old be talking to us so calmly about getting his arm ripped off by being run over by a truck? So from seven, I remember distinctly believing that most people weren't ever going to believe my truth. They weren't going to see me. They weren't going to understand me. They weren't going to want to connect with me. Has anybody ever felt that way? Mm -hmm. Like people don't understand what you're trying to get them to understand about you. They don't see you. They judge you based on your actions versus your intent, which you believe are aligned, but maybe they're not. Right. The second thing that would happen with all of those same people is they immediately started to view me through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my situation. Mm. Immediately limiting me, saying what I was and wasn't going to be able to do in the future because of this handicap that I now have. Mm. Matt, I'm going to ask permission just because of the room, but I use language occasionally. Is language appropriate in here or not? It's fine. Yeah, I know it okay. comes out. It's all, it's all good. These guys are okay. Are I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go right towards the glory word then, because at seven, though, I didn't have this word. Then this was the physical reaction I had. Fuck that. Nobody's going to tell me what the fuck to do. Okay. So here's what I did for that next period of time. And, and the age range that you're in is a period of time that I was way more blind than I ever thought. Because I made a commitment to myself at that time that I was going to go straight into mindset, straight into mental toughness. Now you'll hear full circle why that's so important, but I believed it was everything. It's only a part of the equation. But here's what my narrative was, which looking back was all protective, but that's not what I believed then. This was, I'm going to go show myself and show the world what I can do. So the narrative was, Brian's good, Brian's strong, Brian's capable, and Brian can do anything himself. Now the world added a different narrative to it that I didn't, which was, oh, and if Brian needs help, he'll ask for it. Here's the thing, guys. At 12, 14, 16, I got really used to being the only one that looked like I did. I got used to being the only one across my group of friends that my arm was different. So what did that mean as it related to girls and attraction and, right? I was the only one on every single sports field that had some sort of like limiting supposed injury, yet I'd still perform at a high level. Right. I would go out because when I could perform, when I was crushing things, when I was breaking everyone's expectations, they were a lot less focused on my arm. But here's what I did in that period of time that I didn't realize. And some of the highest performers in the world, I'm helping them unwind this 30 years later. I learned how to receive love, validation, and connection through performance. If I did all the right things, I got the right grades, I did the right stuff, then I was going to be in good graces with my parents, with my teachers, with my friends. People would want to be around me. I did a lot of really incredible stuff, but you know what I didn't do? I never once looked inside. Not once. You know, I've asked my mom now, 31 years later after the accident, my brother went to therapy. My brother went to therapy for like a year and a half after my accident to unpack what he had visually seen. He saw images I will never understand. But what's in interesting is my mental toughness was so strong because I made that choice the second I came out of the hospital. Everybody thought I was okay. Everybody thought that, that Brian was 
was fine, that, that, that this only affected him physically. It didn't affect him mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And so when I was a teenager, all I was doing was trying to desperately fit in. And if I'm being honest with you, that pattern didn't change until I was almost 30. Hmm. The world never gave me a model for chasing who I was. They gave me a model for chasing what I want. They gave me a model for chasing what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success. Not once was who contemplated. And I didn't have a model for human connection and understanding what that actually meant. The reason I wanted you to have the context on where I was is because I was riding high. 18 years old, I left Arizona. I go to a small private school in Southern California to spread my wings. It's a liberal arts school. And man, I'm like, I like found my rhythm. I found my place. I'm surrounded by fucking people. Right? I never had a problem making friends. I did have problem creating depth. Mm-hmm. Everything was surface level. So I was surrounded by people, but I was very alone. 20 years old, I re-break my arm in a snowboarding injury. I almost lose it again. I'm in college. The reason I tell you this is because it's really important. And these next couple of lessons are pieces I really hope you guys hear. I was surrounded by people. No one was there. Here's the really interesting part. At first, I got a little frustrated. I got resentful. I got a little angry. I got hurt. I was like, why? Why is nobody here? And the longer I sat with it, here's what became really clear. The world just had bought into the narrative I'd created the prior 13 years. Brian's good. Brian's strong. Brian's capable. Brian can do anything himself. Now, what they added again was that I would ask for help, but I'm going to tell you right now, guys, that in my most vulnerable period in life as an adult, up until that point, I didn't have the courage to ask for help. So I remained alone. And in that 10 months, I put on 40 pounds. I got completely disconnected with myself and I got into the darkest depression I've ever personally been in. Not able to see beyond. And guys, I had already shown the world how much of a badass I was because of all I'd overcome and all I'd accomplished and all these other things. And now all of a sudden, I'm halted, stopped, completely alone. And here's what I learned. I told you the story because I wanted you to have context, but my story doesn't define me. I used to believe that my arm was my transformation story. Nope. It's not. It's what created a bunch of trash from my past that I just pushed through and pushed down and buried for years and didn't pay attention to. It wasn't until 27 years old, after realigning this, that I was seeking who. I'd built a $15 million risk management employee benefits consulting business with some partners. 27 years old, I'm printing money. More money. By the way, I'm, I was one of those guys that was like, if I ever make six figures, I'll be set. Mm. Fuck, I will have made it if I ever make six figures. That was my reality. I believed that. And by 27, I was making multiple, right? We had a $10 million business at the time, but here's what happened. I woke up and I was still in the same place I was at 20. Same place I was at 14 and 15. Still alone, still disconnected, still isolated, even though I'd been chasing human connection through vulnerability and authenticity. But I wasn't living in congruence. And what I learned when I was 32 years old, five years after starting to unpack this stuff, 
was one of the most profound lessons that I've ever had in my life. And it completely shaped everything I do today. And this is what I really hope you guys take away. And I'll give you some clarity with some questions here in a few minutes. But when I was 32 years old, I was a dad at that time. Still am. Had a two-year-old daughter. We were playing. We were laughing. We were having so much fun. And she puts her arm around my neck. Gives me a kiss on the cheek. Says, Dad, I love you. And I broke down in tears. Like alligator tears. Like heavy, heavy tears. But it was joy. It was like happiness. It was connection. It was, I'm getting chills as I tell you guys this because it takes me back to that moment. But here's what I realized. 32 years old at the time, every other emotion I'd ever experienced was pale in comparison. Mm -hmm. You see guys, when I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope, I mean, literally, you get a rim lift off, the, the amount of pain that I can endure would put most people <laughs> below ground. I, I just, I'm a practitioner of pain, okay? And I physically have dealt with pain for 31 years as a result of my accident. But when I shut off physical pain when I was seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, I also shut off emotional pain, mental pain and spiritual pain. And I didn't realize it for 20 to 25 years. What happened? Yeah, I was printing money. Yeah, I was had all these great things. I had the house, the car, the money, the everything. But a deep level of shame and anger developed in my life that almost cost me the only three things I care about, which are my wife and my kids. Because of the stuff I'd not actually spent the time to pay attention to and look inside. Today, I'm known as the heart surgeon without a blade. Because I go inside and I help people identify and remove the trash from their past that continues to show up as their biggest problems in relationships, business, life, and health. And we show people how to transform their waste into wealth and why it's so important to dig through your trash to connect and convert in your life in any category, in any category. It is the singular thing that if you don't pay attention to it, it will cripple you, it will show up as your fatal flaw, and it will come back as a pattern that repeats itself perpetually in your life that you feel like you can't escape. At 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, this might sound crazy to all of you, but I can tell you working with people who are worth 150, 250, half a, mil, half a billion dollars, that at 45, 55, 65, these men are wishing they would have done it when they were your age. Because they realized how much they limited their earning potential, their relational capital, their connection with self, and living in their power and potential. Because here's the reality, guys. I protected myself and guarded myself for life. And I want you to understand a few things. I'm going to give you these lessons and then we'll open for questions. Mm. The human experience is rooted in four things that we all seek and desire. Every one of us. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel protected. Those aren't the same thing, by the way. We all want to feel seen and understood. And we all want to feel connected. Now, when we walk in a room and we don't know anybody, we don't feel comfortable, we don't feel seen and understood, we don't feel protected, what do we, what do, we do? Anybody? Can anybody answer that question? Jump in, guys. Go ahead, Talia. Uh, I feel like we kind of just don't talk and we just wait back to a corner so nobody can see us. Which inherently is you protecting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. 
That's how I can make myself feel safe if I do this, right? Yeah. So do all of you know what those 35 gallon black trash bags are that go in an outdoor trash can? Anybody understand? Like, have you all seen those? Okay, I want you to imagine unfolding one, not opening it to put anything in it, but just the flat black bag. And I want every one of you right now to imagine that you're holding one corner in each hand and hold it in front of you. Just imagine right now, put your arms out. I wanna see you guys holding these bags. Okay. Now that's your armor. That's what you're using to protect yourself. Remember this for just a second. Okay. Now I want to ask you something. How could you properly expect that anyone on the other side of that can see you for who you are, your heart, your soul, your intent, your desires, what you're capable of, all of your potential, all of what you can do delivered through an invisible force field. Anybody answer that question? How much, how much do you think somebody could expect to receive if you're delivering it through this force field? Anybody? Not much. Small percent. And that's assuming, by the way, they're not carrying their own armor that's further diluting the communication and connection. The second you protect yourself, you disconnect yourself. And this is such a core concept that most people cannot wrap their heads around because the self-preservation and reactionary element of our fight or flight system was conditioned to keep us alive. Like a hundred years ago, you cut your leg, you could die, but that's not our reality today. But our nervous systems respond the same way. So we have to start to understand in a modern world, like what am I actually protecting myself from? Because the second you protect yourself, you disconnect yourself and you prevent getting the two things you want most, which is to be seen and understood and connected. Typically, we only have armor in the areas where we are protecting pain. Belief systems, intellectual narratives, emotional feelings that have existed because of how your dad looked at you when you were four, or your mom looked at you when you were seven, or your brother or sister did, or your coach told you that you weren't good enough. All of these things that make you feel not seen and understood or connected cause you to want to protect yourself, which actually pulls you further away from who you are, who you want to be around, and what you want. Mm. I could go way deeper on this, but guys, I'm going to pause. Because I just threw a lot of information at you about my story, about some key lessons. But I'm here 100% for you. I don't care what the topic is. I don't care what you're dealing with. I also help a lot of people through situations. So I can answer questions. I can answer a question specific to you. Let me know how I can serve you. All right, if we know that we tend to protect ourselves, how do we make sure that others get to be seen and understood and connected? And I didn't give that part of the narrative, but the reality of it is, is that's what we do. We teach this concept of becoming a protector and a connector. Okay. So I'm going to walk you through this real quick because I want you to understand this. There are two ways to lower our armor. Okay. One, we can fabricate and convince ourselves that we're safe in any given moment. That doesn't have longevity, but it can work in a moment. And it works in often many moments. The other way is to actually unpack and heal through the stuff that's causing you to protect in the first place. Get really, really clear on those pieces. That's a longer path. Okay. So I'm going to teach you the short-term path right now, because that's the one that's most relevant. The concept of protector and connector is, okay, if I'm in a room and I know that I'm isolating myself through my own armor, then others likely are too. So if I can fabricate and convince myself that I'm safe and I have no need to protect, okay, then what do I do? I can lower my armor. Now, what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? I teach this concept of having a soft front and a strong spine. 
A strong spine is, I know who I am. I know what I'm worth. I know what my boundaries are. I know what I'm willing and not willing to do. I know my heart. I know my compassion. I know my intent. I'm doing all of this for the benefit of the people that are, I know all this, which means that I can be unwavering. I know I'm the authority in the space that I'm in. I know that I have the best intent, even if I don't have all the answers. But because I know all that, I don't have anything to waver on. I don't, I don't need to worry about anything, but that also ensures that I don't need to protect anything, which means I can lower my armor. Now, let me ask you guys this. Regardless of where you feel this is on the manly or non-manly scale, like I'm just going to throw this out there. I think that men then cry is one of the most beautiful, powerful things. Okay. But let me ask you a question with any one of your fathers, and you may have no issues with this because they're all under Matt's leadership, like learning how to be the best they can. But right. If you're not feeling good, you're not, you're off, you're, you're, you're wanting to be soft or gentle or, or have some support or some love. Do you ever want to lay your head down on a piece of armor, a chest piece? Like imagine like old knights in shining armor. That's what armor does. Nobody wants to put their head down on a chest piece of armor. They want a soft front. They want a human. Okay. So great question, because here's what you have to do. You have to convince yourself that you're safe and protected. So you can lower your own armor in the moment. Now what you do is you wrap a layer of protection around the environment that you're in, which ensures that everybody's seen and understood, everybody's safe, everybody's protected, and everybody's connected. Now, what does that mean? Typically, creating that space starts with leading with vulnerability and authenticity. I believe they're the glue that binds human connection. So what does that mean? Well, I could come into a room full of my peers and realize that we're all in our middle teens. We're all trying to figure out our bodies. We're all trying to get with girls in the appropriate ways that we want to where we're at in our lives. We're all trying to perform in sports. We're all trying to have school. But guess what? We all have our own insecurities as well. It's never going to be looked at as like the manly thing to do. But when you're sitting around with your buddies, what if you just said something like, man, I got into a fight with my dad last night. It just really wrecked me. And I'm really feeling down on myself today. And, and I know that I'm going to be okay. But you know, I also know that this isn't unique to me. We all experience this stuff. The second you own your story in a vulnerable fashion, you also disarm everyone else. And I love, I love the concept of this too. And this is something that's going to be um, worth a number of conversations, gentlemen. The, the, I'm writing down the words specifically Mr. Bogart's using. He's saying acknowledge and remove. And that's vastly different than acknowledge and allow yourself to be consumed. Um, and we are playing in a culture that's got two different things. One, either we just don't acknowledge it, right? Like what he's talking about. We just, we put up these barriers. We don't acknowledge it at all, or we acknowledge it and we sit in it and we just want everybody to come to this and we're consumed by it. Neither of those creates that, that, uh, environment that, that we want here too. So this is, there's a lot of work here to be done. Well, I think my message is, uh, is, is consistent with my purpose in life. Okay. My purpose in life is to allow my truth to give others permission to live theirs. If I had to boil everything down into this, it's all about the human experience and human connection. And so people have asked me for years what I'm an expert in. I'm an expert in people. And guess what? People are involved in every single thing we do. So if you understand the human experience, you understand how to put yourself into a position of empathy, not just sympathy, you can have compassion and grace for meeting people where they are. Here's what I know, but our mission to do this is to alleviate 
the level of suffering that exists on this planet. We're on a mission to impact over a billion lives. I believe suffering exists in four places. The things that are left unsaid, the things we lack permission to feel or say, the things we lack the words to articulate or understand, or the things that are left undone. Every time I tell my truth, I give someone permission to feel and say something that they may not have had otherwise. I give someone the words to articulate and understand their unique situation that they may have just been caught in their emotions on, which now enables them to act and do and move themselves out of suffering. And so everything I do is about seeking truth. Um, I'm going to answer in a, with a story, though, because it'll, it'll make more sense, okay? Um, I was blind to a lot of what happened to me the following years after my accident. I was kind of in a fog, okay? So I was very, very, very much stewarded through the process, but it taught me one of my most valuable lessons, which is actually around pain, okay? My parents were not blind. They were not in a fog. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy, like dressing changes. I mean, guys, the amount of pain I was in at seven, we had neighbors five doors down who could hear my screaming during dressing changes every night. It bonded our whole street because our community could hear a seven-year-old boy curdling, blood-curdling screams in the amount of pain that I was in, okay? I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. That's not the point here. But the why I tell you that is, is, my parents were vividly aware of the idea that their son could grow up without the use of his left arm. Mm -hmm. And the idea of that was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, to ultimately strengthen and heal me. Okay? Now, what they did was they ingrained in me a philosophy and a way of living, which I didn't really understand before. And this was one of the first concepts we, we taught on, in fact. It's to embrace pain to avoid suffering. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is also, by the way, the way we gain freedom. Mm. Okay? So the reality of it is, is we need to better understand pain and suffering before we can know what does this mean. Pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, and a direct cause or correlated to something, alleviated once that direct cause is removed. Then we as human beings, like we do with everything, fuck it up by putting other words in front of it, like acute and chronic. Mm. Now acute maintains the definition, but chronic inherently changes it. Why? Because it implies that it persists after that direct cause is removed. It doesn't heal. That's not pain, guys, that's suffering, okay? We don't want to admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. But the unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. So until you accept the current state of things, you cannot alter them. Okay? So what does this mean? I'm going to give you just a few examples of this because we don't have time to teach the full concept. But what that means is that we need to start to redefine pain and suffering and understand how they leverage off of each other. I can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle. I can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with my wife to avoid a loveless marriage that's going to end in divorce or frankly being stuck in a marriage when I want out, right? I can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with my kids putting down their mobile devices at the dinner table to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation that we'll never get back. 
right? As a business owner, I can embrace the pain of firing my top salesperson who's contributing the most to top line growth to avoid the suffering of losing all my other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in our culture. I gave you a variety of examples there for obvious reason, because this applies to everything in life. And so although I can't teach the whole piece, the three steps to this are to acknowledge the suffering you wish to avoid, identify the pains you tend to avoid and learn to embrace them, and then establish as a habit in every area of your life. If you guys want to know more about that, I can teach more on that later, but that's the concept because what I'll tell you is typically, this is going to be the golden answer for all of you in here. Typically that number two, identifying the pains you tend to avoid and learning to embrace them. Typically we try to replace that with strategy and tactics in our lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, if I went to the gym for six months and it didn't work, I'm going to join orange theory or I'm going to go get a cycle bar. Or I'm going to right? like I, it's swap and replace. Okay. But I will tell you definitively that the pains you tend to invoice always are connected to the emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning that took in your life, which is the trash from your past. That's right. I didn't like to go work out at big box gyms when I was 20 years old, when I started having physical pain impact my life, because I got anxiety when I was working out in a crowded gym, because I still wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And I had to accommodate, adapt and work out differently. And I didn't want to do that with more eyeballs on me because it was so obvious. Guess what? It wasn't a workout problem. It wasn't a discipline problem. It wasn't a enduring the pain of the weightlifting or no, it had everything to do with my internal fear that was connected to my shame that I still hadn't healed. That's right. And so then the, the, the makeshift response to that is we chase the new woman in the red dress to find a new way to avoid. Exactly. Yep. It's exactly, it's exactly right. Mental toughness is critical. Discipline is critical. But what I'm trying to tell you is most people try to replace all the things they believe they're stuck with, with stuff that has nothing to do with why they're stuck. And I'm going to tell you that 99% of the times in your life and all of your lives, when you get really stuck, It'll have nothing to do with the outside world. It'll have everything to do with what you still haven't resolved in here. Mm -hmm. People don't talk about that though, because that's not the fun stuff. Yeah. Um, bear with me, because this one, this one is this one hits hits close for me. Um, I have a nine-year-old son, um, and he is like my little clone in so many ways. He's he's unbelievable. I was not the father that he deserved for the first seven years of his life. I was a great dad. I did a lot of things, but my son has autism. He's got ADHD and he's got sensory processing disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. I don't say any of that as labels, like it's a bad thing. It's just, we have knowledge and understanding for how he's neurologically different. We get to help him now move through the world intentionally because of who he is. I view it as a gift. Okay. Does anybody have, do you have knowledge on autism at all? Anybody in here? Okay. So we know primarily it's a social disorder. Okay. Physical touch is often something that's limited or not desired, right? There's gaps. There's a lot of stuff that's not picked up on, on, on social cues. Well, my son fits all those criteria. Okay. That's the area he struggles the most. When I was raised, the expectation in my house was that anytime we had friends or family around us coming to our house, going to their house, it was expected that we hug them the second we got there and we hug them goodbye. 
I don't believe in reinforcing that narrative for my son, especially when I know it's a neurological challenge for him. But my dad has a really big problem with that. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, it looked something like this. They'd get to our house and Blake would do his own thing. And my mom has learned that he'll come to her when he's ready. And he always does. Mm -hmm. But when he's pressured, he doesn't. How many of you like, like to do things when you're told to do them? Like <laughs> anybody? Does anybody like that? Because I, I, I don't. I, I, like, I hate that, right? And Blake's no different, right? My son, Blake. And so what would happen? They'd come in the house and then my dad would get all huffy puppies. Oh, fuck. I don't know why, why didn't you want to hug me? I'm being dramatic, but like, that's essentially what it was. Big energy, like just stupid, right? We had a reset moment 18 months ago. After years of me trying to get my dad to listen, to understand, to recognize all these things. Um, he did a great job. I wrote him a letter and it led to a lot of conversation that gave us almost a year of no struggle there. January, my dad wasn't in a great place. And we were going over, my daughter had spent the night at their house and my son had swim practice. And we were driving around in my old school Jeep because it was beautiful weather outside. And we're heading over to my parents' house to pick up my daughter. And then we find out my daughter's not there. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. And my son and I say, well, let's go over there anyway and give grandpa a hug. Okay. We park, we get out. And I go up and give my dad a hug. And Blake walks around him and goes inside because he's going to change at their house to get his swimsuit on. My dad says, Blake, you're going to give me a hug? Blake says, yeah, grandpa, I'll be right back. I'm going to go change. I'll be right back. To which my dad responded by saying, forget it. If you don't hug me now, I don't want one. Hmm. So I'm in a really good place. And I entered into that with a soft front and a strong spine. So what did I do? I, I, I was going to say, hey, dad. And I was like literally getting ready to touch him on the chest and say, dad, we came over here for the sole purpose of a hug. If you just take a breath, like it'll be okay. My dad cut me off. He goes, I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of the same thing. And I said, and I looked at him and I smiled and I said, dad, I love you. I'm not going to do this now. Blake and I are going to be leaving. I go inside. I talk to Blake, tell him what happened. And I said, it's up to you. I'm going to, I'm not going to hug grandpa on the way out. I've said what I need to say. We're going to leave. We can revisit it again later. Blake said, well, he already told me he doesn't want to hug if I didn't give it to him then. I'm going to compress a bunch of this story and bring you to the most meaningful thing to answer the question. My dad didn't see my kids for three weeks after that. Because my dad failed to take awareness or to put himself into a position of awareness and take ownership for what he had done. He was still huffy and puffy. He was upset. He was pissed. He's like, why can't you guys just get over this? Like, why this? Blah, blah, blah. Three weeks goes by and, and my mom is asking, like, when can we see him again? I said, mom, get dad to talk to me. I still haven't had a conversation with him yet. Till I have a real honest conversation with dad, like, you're not seeing my kids. You can come over, mom. Dad's not welcome. Which pissed my dad off. But here's the truth, guys. When I got on the phone with him, it was the most difficult eight-minute conversation I've ever had with my dad. But here was the takeaway that my dad needed to really understand was two things. 
that I now are know are completely reinforced for my son. My son, right before I had this conversation, was saying to my saying to me, "Well, how come Grandpa doesn't just call to say sorry? Like, I'll, everything will be okay if he just says sorry." Like, so just like accepting of whatever perils, and we've explained, "Yeah, well, Grandpa's trash from his past causes him still to do this and make him feel these ways." And I promise you, that's not what he really means. But but at the same time, guess what? My job as a dad is not to protect my dad; it's to protect my son. Right. Period. My dad was trying to convince me otherwise and have these conversations. And in this eight-minute conversation, I said to him, Dad, two things you need to understand very clearly. First, which this isn't one of the points, but I said, Dad, you're a dick. Like, you're a dick. He's like, I just don't understand why you guys are so upset. But nobody said, Dad, you're a dick. This is what you said. This is how you said it. The major point you need to hear is the message you just gave your grandson is, I'm only going to love you if it's done on my terms. Mm-hmm. My son doesn't deserve that. Right? My dad also needed to hear very clearly that my job is not to protect him. It's to protect my son. It was a neutral conversation. There wasn't any screaming. There wasn't any upset. I didn't. I was completely neutral. But the most powerful thing I think I did for my son was allow him to see that I'm going to fight for what he deserves and show him an example of the kind of love that he deserves, which is unconditional. And if my dad has to judge Blake based on his inability to give him a hug, then he doesn't see my son, he doesn't understand my son, and he's not earned the right to connect with my son. My job is to make sure that my son knows what he's worth and that everyone around him that's close also can treat him with love, grace, empathy, and compassion based on who he is, not what they want from him. Well said, sir. Uh, I can have a conversation with just about anybody at this point in my life because I just see people. I like, it's really interesting. The world, most people view the world through black and white, right? Like even what you just asked, it's like, what if they're not like you, right? Like everything we do is in this like realm of black and white. And we get these belief systems in our areas that, in our heads, in our lives, that all we do is further seek information to validate the belief system that we currently have, rather than seek perspective. Look, you see it in politics, guys. You see it in business. You, you see this all over the place. You see it in sports, competition, all of it. Okay? The reality of it is, and I just lost my train of thought. I'm going to come full circle real quick. Um, Give me, give me a spark, Matt. My brain just emptied for a second. What was I just saying? Oh, you're good. Talking about, uh, talking about how each person connect is... with anybody. Yep, got it. You gave me everything I needed. So, what does that mean? If I exist in the black and the white, I'm gonna only go to places with people who are like me. I'm only going to be involved in groups with people who have the same religious beliefs, political beliefs, spiritual beliefs, financial beliefs. Here's what I learned a long time ago. When we exist in a world of black and white, all we're doing is fighting. Because here's the reality. The pendulum doesn't ever hang in the middle when we're talking about black and white because each side, whether you're white or black or whatever, you're trying to swing the pendulum to the other side, bring more people into our camp. Because if our numbers are bigger, we're better, we're stronger, we're all the human shit that makes us do this, right? But guys, I'm telling you right now, like I fought most of my life. I've identified with being a fighter. I fought for fucking everything. I believed that if it wasn't painful, it wasn't worthwhile. 
here's what I've learned, guys. Life isn't about the fight because fighting forces aside. Life is about surrender and seeking perspective. The reality of it is that there is not a singular situation that I have come across yet in life that the gift didn't exist in the gray area. <laughs> so I don't view people as different. I view people as people and I get to explore who they are, right? I don't care if someone works at McDonald's is a janitor or they're worth $250 million. I treat them the fucking same. Because the reality of it is, is we all deal with the same stuff. We all have emotions. We all, we all have worries about money. Sometimes we all want more relationships. We all want love and connection. That's all. If, again, those four things I told you all, we all want. The best way to connect with anybody who's not like you is to remember those four things. We all want to be safe. We all want to be protected. We all want to be seen and understood. And we all want to be connected. So how do I do that? I'm objective and non-judgmental, like to an extreme that people are like, how are you so neutral? Well, because I have my own belief systems, but I don't need to layer them on anybody else. I can respect where your belief system came from. I can also challenge it to better understand it. I can help you get more clarity in certain ways, but we all have access to the same whatever 6,000 words that exist in the, in the English language. I don't give a fuck what anybody tells you. All religion, all social constructs, all business constructs, they were all created by us, which also means they're inherently imperfect and flawed. And we all only have access to so much language, but we all have access to the energy, the emotion, and the reality of being a human. So how do you connect at the human level? That's something I work on with my teams. Even in DM campaigns or ads or things that we're doing to grow our business, the question is always, where can we insert human here? We look so much. I mean, if I got this cup of water and this cup of water here, we look so much and go, oh my God, those are vastly different things. And the reality is some of the outside looks a little bit different, but it's a whole heck of a lot of the same. And when you start with what's the same, you can, you can connect with him. One of the best compliments I, I've ever gotten in my life was, uh, was as a 28 year old kid interviewing for a job. And the lady says, you can, you could probably connect with infants, in-laws and inmates. I said, absolutely. All human, all human. That's the, that's and again, you do that with a soft front and a strong spine because you can't connect with anybody if you're armored, guarded, don't feel comfortable, right? Or protecting anything in yourself. And so it does require you to be the protector right. and the connector. Already like, on your, yep. You can't say you're the black to my white starting out from the start. Yep, 100%. But I can tell you definitively at this point, guys, at 38 years old, I can walk into any room, any room. I don't give a fuck where it is, what it is. I can walk into any room and be the protector and connector that changes the energy in the space. Yep. I didn't believe that for a long time. I couldn't stand in that authority. Yeah. I'd hide, I'd shy, I'd... I can do that in any room. Yes, my podcast is flipping the lid. Um, I think that your ability to read the armor that he's carrying is absolutely correct because often if you struggle to connect with someone, they are protecting deeply, yeah. okay? So this is a perfect place for you to insert human, okay? And the difficult part is I can't give you the exact words to navigate this per se, because I don't know him. And a lot of this has to do with how do you read the environment and the person and how you communicate this. However, all of that said, what you just told me, have you said to him? No, 
Okay. So here's a way to lead with vulnerability with a soft front and strong spine to just take what your words were and repurpose them reflecting backwards. I'm going to pretend that you're him. Okay. Hey, Parker, I am so excited about this internship that we have coming up this summer. It's an incredible opportunity. And though I didn't know who I'd be doing it alongside, I, I'm grateful that it's you. But I also know that we're going to be more successful in this if we can find a way to help each other. And I get the sense sometimes that either maybe I've done something or you're a little guarded and wanting to open up to me. And I, I just want to let you know, I want nothing from you, only everything for you. And I hope that we can make this the best internship possible for us both throughout this summer. And I guess I'd just like to learn a little bit more about like what your interests were in this role and what, what are you looking to gain out of this? And maybe there's something I can do to help add value into your process this summer. Yep. Yep. It's, here's what I would say in situations with people like this. Focus on facts. Focus on your perspective. Focus on what you're feeling. Don't allow it to go down shame and blame. Because if you said something like this, hey, Parker, you know, I really have noticed that your armor is like about as thick as Fort Knox. And I'm not really sure why you don't want to open up to me. But I'm, you know, we're not really going to work through this summer unless you really lower that wall and give me a chance to, 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 to get in. That's shame and blame. That reinforces armor. What did you say instead? Hey, man, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really hoping for the best opportunity possible. And I want to make sure the same thing exists for you. How do I help you accomplish that? How do we better communicate and connect? Right? What reservations do you have about this that, that maybe I can help work through? How do we leverage each other's skill sets so that we both benefit? And so does the organization that we're doing this for. Mm. Nothing about him. Everything about you, your goals, your desire, but you're opening him to the opportunity. You don't believe that it's possible to connect with him at this current moment, and you have fear and hesitation in your own armor and heading into the situation. Those words that I just gave you won't work if you have any of your own armor. And because you just said, I have 18 months of experience to believe that nothing is going to be different. Yeah, I can try these words. Yes, I need to try this approach, but energetically it has to match, meaning you have to genuinely be in a position where you're detached from whatever happens because you can't influence it. Like you can influence it, but you can't control it. He's going to do what he's going to do. But what can you do? You can show up totally real, totally raw, no armor. But your hesitancy, I can feel your armor just talking about the situation. I guarantee you he's likely reacting in some case as well to your armor. Here's the other thing I didn't tell you guys. I used to believe anytime I was running with type A high-performing men, would you guys say I probably have a strong personality? Yeah? Okay. Would you say that I, I'm probably defined as type A, hard charging, like I've got a ton of energy, right? I'm going out there. You know what's interesting? I used to always feel less than, and I used to believe that I was the problem. Meaning something was wrong with me. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't operating at a high enough level. I wasn't manly enough. I wasn't tough enough. I wasn't type A enough. Here's the truth, guys. All of my energy delivered through armor confuses the fuck out of people. They don't know what to do with it. They feel on guard. They don't know what the, like, huge energy guarded, people don't trust. Mm. Right? And so it was my problem, but I used to believe it was because of all these external reasons. No, it's because I didn't know how to drop my armor and know that I'm going to be okay no matter who the fuck I'm talking to because nothing depends on anybody else that's in front of me. Mm. It took me a long time to learn that. Literally, guys, like, I'm 38. I just started making that shift at, like, 34, 35. Mm -hmm. You have to realize that the tone you set in the room is also the tone you're going to get. 
whether you're conscious to it or not. True story. True story. That makes sense, Parker? Absolutely. That was incredible. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah, big. I like the way you said that too. Huge energy guarded is that's that's a dangerous. I mean, it comes across as uh, comes across as angry, comes across as aggressive, comes across as a lot of things other than huge, impactful energy. Um, that that guarding twists it exponentially. So I actually guaranteed that my fucking superpower wasn't reaching people. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> For sure, legitimately, like the way Matt just even sure. that, that was literally it. I have a huge gift yep. in this world i know how good i am i know i'm the authority i don't say that arrogantly guys it's just i've done the work to know that i'm highly unique in the way that i do things all of that said i was the only reason the world didn't know i was there that's right that's exactly right Honey, how old are you i'm 16 okay the first thing i want to say to you is is anything i tell you you have to remember that you currently have 16 years of patterning and yeah. belief systems that have reinforced the way you enter into the world okay so whatever I give you mm-hmm. could sound easy. Oh, I can go flip that switch. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't one of those switches you can flip and just immediately stand into all of your power and potential. This it is a, takes a lot of time. Okay. See, mm-hmm. and because you're unwinding 16 years of patterning. Yeah. Okay. And that's if you're really intentional there. Okay. Now, how? This is where it gets highly situational and unique. So I'm going to give you more of an abstract philosophy for just a minute. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Can you guys read the three words that are tattooed on my arm? Maybe not because my camera just blurred. Hold on. It says trust, surrender, breathe. Okay. I had trust and surrender as two of my guiding words for a few years. The reason trust, surrender, breathe is tattooed on my arm is because just over two years ago, after I had left my other business to go pour into the world to help people get back to the core of who they are, my wife told me that things I'd done in ways I was still showing up and contributed to her losing who she was. And we unpacked that I had a deep level of anger that I didn't even know about. Yeah. Okay. Trust, surrender, breathe was a visual that I had to remind myself of. I'm kind of dense and dumb in some ways. Like legitimately, I need something visual to remind me. Okay. Like great example of this, my son, because of who he is and having a pretty mom and all these pieces, he likes to paint his toenails occasionally. I'd never done it. He said, dad, why don't you do it? Well, it doesn't make my heart happy. But I didn't really know because I'd never done it. So I borrowed some of his strength, did it one day when he needed it. And what's funny is I was in a place in my physical body that I needed a physical reminder to take care of my feet and my health. I kept my toenails painted for 18 months, mm-hmm. right? Now, what did that mean? Shit, every time I walk around in Arizona in sandals, other people are going to now see my toenails. They're going to have judgment, criticism, belief, all of that. Yeah, that's no different than what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. right? Man, when I walk into a room, I'm concerned about criticism. I don't want to be judged. I want to make sure I can connect. How do yeah, I know I mean, I'm I, How do I know that, how to navigate this? Right? As you put it into words, I kind of I I feel like yeah, that that's really what it is. I never thought of it that way and knew of knew it like that. But now that I actually hear it, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And so it's all protectionary, right? For you. Mm-hmm. And and so pay attention to this, but trust, surrender, breathe the, what these words mean to me, Mm -hmm. it means trust that I'm going to be okay. Okay. Trust that everything's going to work out. Mm -hmm. Trust that it might be a little painful along the way, but I also have enough life experience at this point that I know that my greatest growth periods came up right after the greatest amount of pain. 
Yeah. Every time. So trust. And so for me, sorry. Huh? Can I say, can I say something quickly? Yeah, please. Johnny, go. So, so true. So you mean like trust, let me, so let me ask. So trust that whatever happens, even if you go through through a lot of pain in your life or a time period, it's going to be okay in the end. Is that what I do that as a reminder in the moment, Johnny, Mm -hmm. that's the lesson. But in the moment, because you're asking, how do I do this? How do I connect more? In the moment, you need to trust. Trust yourself okay. that you're going to establish and communicate the boundaries that you really do need, yeah. that you can trust yourself to drop the armor and that you're going to be okay. And trust yeah. that even if you aren't in the safest or protected environment with certain people, you're going to be able to identify it and remove yourself appropriately, which still makes sure you're okay. Okay. So no, no matter what, things will be okay. Trust. Because guess what? When we protect ourselves, it's because we don't trust. Yeah, we don't feel safe. We don't feel protected. We don't, we don't trust, trust the people one. that are there. We don't trust they want for us instead of from us, right? Yeah, yeah. We, so we trust. trust that we're going to be okay in the end. We think that something maybe irrational will happen. Trust is going to help you there. Surrender is the next part, though, and I want to explain surrender as well. Yeah, surrender is like surrender to know that if I am present in this moment, that I'm going to have everything I need to navigate it. Okay. Surrender to the flow of what's about to happen. Surrender again. Don't force or fight aside. But when I said fighting is what forces aside, fighting is what creates polarity, fighting is what creates armor, fighting, surrender is about like literally allowing things to be. So whatever, whatever happens in that moment, you'll figure out a way to make it work. Bingo. And then breathe. Breathing is unbelievable, but here's the reality. It is the only organ that keeps us alive that operates with or without our intent. Mm -hmm. That's not by coincidence, guys. The ability to cleanse yourself in a moment and release energy or center yourself or diffuse yourself with a singular breath often can actually put you into a position to move. Now, I'm not going to go deep on breath work. I'm not going to give all this stuff, but I'm going to give an example, right? Someone could say something to me in a room that I get triggered and I all of a sudden feel protective or I walk into a room and I don't have that soft front and strong spine today. I'm feeling a little wavering, right? What does breathing do? I can pause, take a breath. And then I ask myself two questions. Is what I'm reacting to right now due to what's right in front of me or the trash and belief systems from the past? Yeah, so you have to breathe. And then the second question is, what am I protecting right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, are you, are you asking me? No, I'm telling you, those are the two questions to ask in oh, the moment okay. when you're trying to actually connect and move through it. If you ask those two questions, it will point you towards what's important. It will make everything much more clear and you'll understand more that it's okay. Because if you're all of a sudden like, well, I'm protecting because I don't want to be judged or I don't want to be criticized. Well, why do I have that belief system? Well, I don't know. It doesn't re- relate to this moment right now. So maybe I can just convince myself that I'm safe for the moment, be the protector and the connector. That's what that means. If you really think about it, you make a lot of it in your mind because why are these people who, if, if you go to an area that you're probably going to protect yourself from you probably don't know them why would they judge you when you you don't even know who they are yet and they don't know bingo it's it's a mind game your mind's just a prison and you have to escape it and no different than the last young man who just joined and i'm already blanking on the name i apologize but like going to talk to this other kid that's right i have 18 months of belief i don't think i'm gonna be safe it's the same thing yeah so i'm trying to tell you guys like this is so basic in terms of the human experience 
but nobody talks about this stuff. Because right. you're going, you're going through that, Johnny. And so are they. They're doing the same thing on their side. They're going, who's judging me? Who's this? Right. And so now you've got everybody coming into the same room with yeah. their thick layer that they're having to go through first. And that's the most important part to them. Yeah. Right. Connect. So every single person playing that game, you're you're just guaranteeing you'll be disconnected your whole life right it's just how humans think and act so everybody goes through and it just it just mm -hmm. depends on how you you work with it and how like bingo. you know how to manage it okay bingo mm -hmm. well i appreciate that very much sir you're a great guy honestly and it was great speaking today thank you johnny i hope it helped absolutely okay um who was the last person that made you feel like garbage uh, it would be my uncle. Okay. What happened? Well, it's been more of the course of a timeline. It's not That's exactly okay. general points, okay. but he's practically just a control freak and narcissist. And when you make a mistake, uh, he'll beat you over the head pretty much. And therefore, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think pardon me good i got enough on your uncle if, if you're okay i can just i can shift you to a different question yeah. you gave me everything i needed right there um okay sure how did when you think of your uncle or the last time that your uncle made you feel like garbage how does it feel in your body um gosh kind of like fear you could say or just i don't want to be around him okay i'm gonna challenge you it. You labeled it with an emotion, right? That's not a feeling. That's an emotion that's labeled. So physiologically in your body, what happens? Heart rate, lungs. Don't describe the feeling. Don't label the, the emotion. Tell me exactly what's happening when you feel like that with him. I feel like I psychologically have to be prepared for the next conversation. Okay. So sure again, that's not a feeling, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold you tight here. Yes, okay. What I'm meaning is like, okay, when I get triggered by shame, it moves in different ways. Okay. Um, I bite my tongue. I, I, my shoulders shrink down, right? If I, if I get triggered in anger, my heart rate goes up, my chest puffs. I feel the warmth come across me, right? I feel like this welling of pressure coming up in my throat. Physiological symptoms. I'm, I'm challenging you right now because part of the way to move through this is to actually know how it feels in your body. Most people can't answer that question. So you're not alone. I have adults 30 years older than you who can't answer the question either. Physiologically. Ah, uh, gosh. I don't know. I guess I would say heart rate. Yeah, okay. probably. Now I'm going to ask you another question. When you're in environments where somebody has a difference of opinion from you, the whole question that you asked in the very beginning, what do you feel in your body? Gosh, this is another physical question or is it more emotional? Physical, same thing, physiological. Okay. You're doing great, Turner, you're, you're good, okay? You're good. I don't. Okay, you're okay. I'm gonna walk you through this, okay? So, yes. Turner, what you just told me about your uncle is actually the fucking answer to your question. Mm -hmm. You have a belief system that's ingrained at a cellular level in your body that's reactionary and protectionary because of his egotistical, narcissistic, there's always a right way to do something. 
you yes. have made yourself small in many cases in your life to protect yourself against your uncle. You've appeased him by leaning into his opinion multiple times because it's a, what's allowed you to feel safe. Okay. But here's what's happening. That cellular memory is now reacting to people that aren't your uncle. That's trash from your past. And so when you ask, how do I actually move through that? Those same two questions that I just gave a second ago are ones for you as well. Because if it's not your uncle, you can literally ask yourself those same two questions after you take a breath. And with what I'm reacting to right now, due to who's right in front of me or my uncle and the trash connected to that. And what am I protecting right now? What I'm trying to help you guys understand and Turner, you're a great example of it is it doesn't have to be a fucking trauma for these things to exist in our lives. You have an ingrained emotional cellular reaction that is making you believe you're not safe in people that have nothing to do with your uncle because of the amount of conditioning you've had. And that's just one example. I'm sure it exists in other areas in your life. Okay, but what it requires is you to take awareness around the fact that the way he's treated you causes you to show up differently for other people. You can own the fact that your self-preservation and protection because of this narcissistic uncle has put you into a position where you feel less than, not worthy, like you can't get the right answer. And so in any room you walk into, you don't feel good about that. And you're always trying to justify why you belong. Yes. I would say everything you just said was very on point of, what, of how I could understand it. That's why I said it the way I said it, because I was speaking to you, my friend. Okay, what I want you to understand is that you have the answer right in front of you. You need to dig into that and sit with that longer. Pay attention to how these things move in the body. The fifth pillar of taking out the trash that we teach is this, it's move. What does that mean? It's how does it move through your body? How does it move through your world so that you can move through it? When I say physiological response, that's something that, I, by the way, I've never fucking heard another person talk about it that way. It's not common knowledge because most people are like, well, what are you feeling right now? Guess what? That's always labeled with an emotion. Wow, man, I feel stressed. I feel anxious. I feel shameful. I feel guilty. Or I feel heavy. I feel like I can't breathe. Right? I feel like my psychologically I'm not prepared, like you said. Like these are all external definitions of what's actually going on inside. Because what do we learn to do? We learn to stop feeling and to intellectualize everything as a mode of survival when we have to make ourselves small. And so for you, I want you to understand how do these things move through your body, right? I've dealt with shame. I've dealt with anger. Shame moves through my body five or six different ways. Anger moves through my body five or six different ways. Why is it important for me to understand that? So that I can know how it moves through my world, i.e., where do I get triggered? I have over 50 shame triggers that I'm aware of and over 60 anger triggers that I'm aware of. Again, why is that important? Because then I can move through it by pairing and partnering so that when my doorbell goes off and my two chihuahuas have their yappy fucking barks like going nutso and I get on edge because I'm on sensory overload and I can't deal with it. I need to be able to know that in that moment so that I can neutralize and diffuse because guess what? If I don't, my son who's on the autism spectrum or my daughter who's hearing impaired who has double hearing aids might come jump on my lap. What energy do you think they're going to get from me after I've just reacted to the dogs barking? Not the best version. And they're not getting the neutral loving dad. They're getting all the reaction, all the tension. And what do they know? They don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. But that's mine to own, not theirs. Right? And so now I have the ability when something as simple as the doorbell goes off and I know I get triggered every fucking time I hear those dogs. 
I can. And then if my kid jumps in my lap, I've not only neutralized and released some of it, but I can also say like, hey, dude, I just got totally lit up when the dogs went off. So I'm working out some of this energy right now. I promise it has nothing to do with you. Okay. Does that make sense, Turner? Yes, it does, sir. I know how these move in your body. What? Go ahead. I I, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's good. No, I really appreciate it, sir. And I will definitely be working through that. And as you said, the triggers and shame triggers, things like that, I'll obviously work through. And would it be okay if I uh, contacted you offline? Okay, yeah, that'd be great. My, uh, my, my, my website's right there, but if you just do brian at brianbogert.com, that's my email. Shoot me an email, bro. Okay. Thank you, sir. <sighs> this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for going over the time. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're bringing awareness to. Um, you know, it's, uh, and I'm sure you hear it and I'm sure you hear it all the time. Uh, and I'm sure you hear the thanks, but you know, you and I knowing what we know about how this impacts humanity and knowing that if we can get ahead of it, like you said at the beginning, if we can get ahead of it and pour this knowledge, pour this awareness into this generation so they can unpack and get rid of any of that stuff now drop these barriers now go forward like the the exponential difference it makes in terms of the leaders that we are uh able to then sit back and unleash right. uh, man and the reality of it is mad is we know this for sure the longer you carry it the harder it is to get rid of yes sir True. so you guys are in the prime position right now because most of these triggers by the way come in your first seven to 14 years of life it comes early it means you right. haven't had repeated patterns significantly yet which means that this next seven year window for you, whatever age you are, you guys have an awesome opportunity to put yourself in a place where you're going to experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment abundantly in your lives because you aren't going to be restricting it. So good. So I would, I would uh, be remiss. Obviously, we're going to go brianbogert.com because this does go out to a whole lot of folks to anywhere else we can send people, any other way that we can support you, listeners around the world too. What do you want that to look like, sir? Yeah, you know what? I would I would send people to our podcast. Honestly, flipping the lid. We just launched eight weeks or uh, yeah, eight weeks ago. We've had incredible people on it already. We've had David Meltzer, Brad Lee, Darren Oline, Kelly Chase, like big, big, big names carrying a lot of influence because these are relationships. But these are real raw discussions that people are actually talking about the hard parts in their life. This isn't the glitz and the glamour and why I made eight gazillion fucking dollars. This is real conversation. And I had a guy sitting in my chair that's worth two hundred and fifty million dollars who came from complete poverty, right? And I asked him a question on our show. You've come from the darkest of dark. You have more wealth than most people can ever imagine. What's the difference in the human experience? And he said, nothing. Mm -hmm. Guys, the conversations we're having here are transforming lives. And so what I would tell you is that's the other place. It's a free resource. I just want as many people to hear the stories that need to be told as possible. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.